Welcome to My Ed Expert, specializing in what's possible in education. By merging research, practice, and passion, we provide insights from top educational thought leaders for right now implementation. Now, here's your host, author Susie Pepper Rollins. I am so glad you joined us today. A few months ago, I did a podcast with Todd Stanley on the myths surrounding giftedness. That was episode number four. And we had so much interest in it and so many listeners for that podcast that I asked Todd to come back to sort of deepen our conversation about giftedness because it's such an intriguing topic. Today, we're going to focus on one aspect primarily, which is underachievement among students identified as gifted. That seems like an oxymoron, right? To say an underachieving gifted person. But maybe that's our perception because we tend to think of these kids as super smart, raising their hands, straight A's, got to have a movie done about them. But that's not always the case. Some gifted students struggle to reach their potential and are thus labeled as underachievers. So I want to welcome Todd Stanley. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me today. I'm excited that you're here. I'm a fan of yours, and I want to tell everybody a few things about you. Uh, Todd just recently gave a keynote address uh, for the Texas Association for Gifted Leadership, and he has been in gifted education for many, many years, like 21 years, 18 of those as a classroom teacher. He's written numerous books on gifted ed and project-based learning. Uh, my favorite title, When Smart Kids Underachieve by Proofrock Press. So that's right up his alley today with what we're going to talk about. First thing I want to ask you about is really, Todd, um, what's the difference between an overachiever and a gifted learner? Let's just talk about that one first. Well, it's interesting like that. So there are kids who we consider bright and kids who are gifted. And some gifted kids are bright. And some bright kids are gifted, but there, there are some bright kids who are not gifted. They're just very hard workers. They, um, you know, put a lot of effort into things. They have high expectations. And so they, and, and, the, and these are the type of students I think we often associate with gifted kids. These are the com- compliant kids who are teacher pleasers, who want to uh, do, you know, what, what the school asks of them. I would consider them more those are the bright students. And there are, again, there are some gifted students who are like that. But gifted learners in general aren't necessarily those compliant students because a lot of gifted kids are very innately curious. And as a result, they are constantly questioning things. And sometimes that means questioning authority. And so um, it might be a, it might manifest itself as a, a student is challenging a teacher or questioning a teacher or um, you know, doing something to a teacher that the teacher thinks that it's belittling them. And really the gifted kid is just curious and wants to know. Um, I often share this funny anecdote. When I first started teaching gifted, I had this student and he asked a billion questions. Like every day he had a question. Whenever I brought something up, he brought up something, had a question. We, and we would explore these. And as a class, we would explore these questions that he had. And I went into a, a team meeting and the English um, language uh, teacher, uh, she was um, she was like, this kid keeps challenging me. I'm like, what do you mean he's challenging you? She's like, he keeps asking me questions. And I was like, no, he's not really challenging. He's just curious. And so sometimes it can be a misperception of we, we assume this is bad behavior, but it's really just an innate curiosity that some of these gifted kids have. Well, that's really important. That's great information to have right there. Let's talk a little bit more about the underachieving gifted student. How pervasive is it? Is that something we see quite a bit in gifted classrooms? Well, it's, it's interesting because there, 
the, the, when you look up the research, the speculation is that anywhere from 10 to 50% of gifted kids suffer from underachievement. And every time I give that statistic, people are like, that's a huge gap. 10 to 50 is big. And the reason why there's that gap is, unfortunately, there is not one test we can give that labels a kid underachievers. Like there is one test we give that labels kids as gifted, but we don't have a similar test that labels them as underachievers. We don't get, we don't have a blood test we can't even do with them. And so as a result, um, we, again, we, we misidentify kids where we think they're working to the potential, but they're not because the, the one thing that I think can be really confusing is that you can have gifted students who are getting straight A's and are still underachieving because they're not reaching their potential. And that's the tricky thing with gifted kids is as the teacher, your main goal is to help that student reach their potential. But if their potential is out of, off the charts, that is a real big challenge to get them to reach that potential. And so gifted kids are smart by definition, and they learn if I if I cut some corners, if I take the easy way out, I'm still going to get an A, so why wouldn't I do that? And so a lot of kids take that route, and that's where you get your underachievers. These are kids who, um, you know, they're not like, you know, doing poorly in school, but but they are just doing enough to get by to get to what they're interested in. Okay, so, and so that's really um, helpful. So yeah. go a little bit farther down that path and just help us sort of define underachievement and I guess with every student, really, but particularly with gifted kids. So under it's funny because I think I talked about this in the last podcast. There's no national definition for gifted. And similarly, there's not really like a, a, a definition for underachievement. However, the, the easiest way to, is the, the, the gap between or the discrepancy between their potential and what they actually achieve. And so why that can be misleading, though, is because we often use grades as that. Um, but as a, again, as a teacher of gifted for many years, I had kids who would get A's in classes, but I knew they weren't giving me their best effort. They weren't giving you know, me up to their potential. I had a student, he always got A's in my class. He did very well. And I would talk to his mom and I would say, you know, he's not working up to his potential. And she's like, but he's got A's. And I'm like, yeah, but he's capable of so much more. And she's like, well, I'm happy with A's. So he, he just never really reached his potential. And sometimes with gifted kids, they may be underachievers in one subject area and not another. So there might be a kid who's, who's you know, really loves math. So they, they give their all in math. And then when they get into language arts, they hate to write. So they won't give their all. And so that's, that's another reason why underachievement is, is not identified across the board, because that student may pick or choose what they're going to underachieve in. So, but, um, I, but I would say if yeah, the, the best definition for underachievement is basically a failure to reach potential. So we want these students to be, is there a gender difference? There is. So, um, typically may, uh, the, when they do the statistics, 25% of females suffer from underachievement, but 50% of males do. And, you know, that's for numerous reasons. Uh, it could be peers. It could be, um, it's not cool to be to be smart. I mean, so, you know, there are social reasons for that. And so you get a lot of boys, especially um, amongst African-American and Latino kids. Um, they they find themselves being bullied or picked on because they're smart. And so rather than have that happen to them, they just choose to act dumb as a result. 
and so that they don't have to deal with that. And so, so what happens obviously is that they're not going to work up to the potential because they don't want people to make fun of them for that. Well, that's horribly tragic. And, and another thing is it's going to, it surprises people, but quite a few gifted students end up dropping out of high school. Do you have any, any numbers on that at your fingertips? Yeah, I, I was really shocked when I saw this number. So basically, six, 18 to 25% of gifted kids or people who drop out of high school are identified in one area or another of gifted. So that means one out of every four kids who drops out of high school is gifted. So when you, when you think about the stereotypical high school dropout, you think about a student who couldn't you know, handle the, the rigor, they couldn't handle the academics. But these are kids who clearly have the potential to handle those academics. There are other factors that are causing them to drop out. And, and you know, chief amongst those are they're just bored. They've checked out of school. They're not willing to play the game of school because we, we all know that school can sometimes be a game. And students that play the game will find a lot of success. But if you're not willing to play the game, if you try to go against the game, you know, it, it, it's really difficult to get through school. And so you have these kids who are very gifted. They're very capable but they're simply choosing not to graduate because, you know, they're not playing that game in school. Pretty big problem. And it, it's really hard to even get our minds around it, really, because I think our perception sometimes is so different that maybe it's easy street for kids uh, who are identified as gifted when really it's not. So let's let's look a little bit. If I'm a classroom teacher, I'm a parent, I'm a leader in a building. What are some things I want to look for? Like, what are some big signs of underachievement? You already talked about this discrepancy, but beyond that, I'm looking out at my students, I'm looking at my class, what am I going to see? Okay, so uh, there's a few things you can look for. First off, is, um, is, it a stu- is, is does the student take easier classes to avoid work? I, I often joke with people that, you know, gifted kids, because they're, by nature they're smart, they also are very smart at getting out of work. And they are good at, at weighing if I take this class, I can get an A and I'm not going to be challenged, but it's going to be much easier. If I take this class, I'm going to be challenged and I may get a B. So I would rather just get the A. And so they play that game, that uh, that game of school. And as a result, they are taking easier classes. So um, so that that's one way. And usually that, that shows itself up in high school where kids who like I'll have kids who are gifted across the board in all subject areas and they have never taken an AP course their whole school career because they didn't really want to challenge themselves. And so um, ideally speaking, every high school would have a specific gifted counselor that would look out for those kids who are not taking the classes they're capable of taking uh, because, you know, counselors basically, you know, they, they're scheduling kids, but they're not looking so much as this kid could be, should be in a much more difficult or challenging class. And so we need to pay more attention to that and make sure that kids are getting into the proper classes. Another thing that you can look at um, is, again, they, they, some don't like playing the game, but some like playing the game within the game, which is that if they have a paper that's due, they're going to wait to the night before it is due and they will write it. And, and then what happens is, of course, is that student may get an A. And so what they've learned is I can wait to the last minute and write my paper, and I'll still get a good grade. And so that becomes the habit that they start to develop. Uh, my daughter, who is gifted in multiple areas, she does this all the time. She'll have a paper due at midnight, and she'll start on it at 11.15. And, she, and then I'll say, what did you get on your paper? And she's like, I got an A. And just, you know, just once, I want her to get a C or a D so that she is, learns that she can't do that. But what she is learning is that she can do it. 
And so, um, so kids who procrastinate either on projects or on papers or things of that nature, that could definitely be a sign of underachievement. Um, just avoiding any opportunities to challenge themselves. It could be something as simple as not going out for the school play because they don't want to be, you know, not accepted, um, in, you know, in the role. Or it could be they don't want to take part in academic competition because they don't want to be told that they're wrong. I mean, the, the, the one thing that happens with gifted kids is that we tell them in their early education, you know, you're so smart. You always have the right answer. You're always we tell them that over and over and over and over and over. And what happens is they start to believe that they're always right and they and they should always be right. And so what happens is when kids get to the point where the content catches up with their ability and they're actually having to learn things and they're actually having to uh, be challenged, they don't have the coping mechanism to do that. And so as a result, they don't want to take chances because they don't want to fail because it, it would make them, it would go against their reputation as being the person that's always successful and always has the right answer. Isn't that something? I never thought about that. So they're, they're all in some ways too smart for the game, you know, <laughs> and it, and yeah, it may be yeah. coming back, back on them a little bit. That's really interesting to me that they don't, they're worried about stretching themselves because then they risk failure and they, and they won't still be that super smart kid that everybody's been praising them for. Um, so do you recommend that maybe we don't do that all the time? You're so smart. You're so smart kind of thing. I, definitely. I mean, Jim, James Delisle, who's like a, a gifted expert, he's, he's written many books and he says there are, there are certain things you should not say to gifted students. And one of those is definitely like, you're gifted. You should know this because that's putting a lot of pressure on them that like, because they're gifted, they should always have the correct answer. Um, the, the one movement I really like in education right now is this fail movement, which is first attempt in learning. And so it is that we are encouraging kids to take risks and we are encouraging them to fail. And, and the, the only way that works, though, is if we create an environment in the classroom where they can fail without humiliation or being, you know, getting a bad grade or whatever. So as teachers, you know, we have to set up classrooms where it's a safe environment to fail um, because, we, we, and when you look back at anything in your life, any, any significant lesson that you learned in your life, it most likely stemmed from a failure, something that didn't go the way that you thought it was going to, or something that you thought was not, or was going to go a certain way, but didn't. And then you learn from that. And so we learn more from our failures than we do our successes. So we need to make sure that these students are, will, are willing to take those risks and they're willing to fail because that's where they're going to reach the potential. That's when they're going to, um, you know, have the, the, the most learning is in that risk factor. And before I forget, Todd, tell everybody how they can reach you, your Twitter and that kind of stuff. Sure. My Twitter is the underscore gifted underscore guy. Um, and then I also have a website, uh, the gifted guy. Um, dot com. Okay. And we're going to put, put links to that on our podcast notes. And uh, let me just put a plug in. Todd has some of the most amazing resources on my expert uh, trading game. He's got uh, something so many people have downloaded on, on the, what's, what's the one with your gift? What's that called? Oh, the unopened gift. The unopened gift. Right. Yeah. And in that, that was based off of my frustration of kids not living up to their potential because in the, in the story, The Unopened Gift, what happens is it's the excuses that kids give for not working up to their potential or, live, or you know, or being working to their potential. And so um, and what eventually happens at the end, tragically, is that that student has been avoiding, you know, their gift for so long they no longer know how to use it. 
And so, and that's what happens. But that's why kids, you have those dropouts and you have those kids who really struggle. They, they did a long-term study. It was really fascinating. They did a long-term study of gifted kids in the Baltimore public school district. And they followed them into college and they followed them into later in life. And what they found was that kids who were, who were high achievers and gifted, 100% of them grad, or 100% of them went to college and 80 some percent of them graduated from a four year college. The underachieving gifted, only like 70% went to college. And out of those, only 48% of them actually graduated from the four year college. Because what happens is you develop these habits and then you can't get out of the habit. And th- these habits actually carry over to their adult life. What they found, they followed this group 10 years later, and they found that the underachievers had a higher instance of uh, divorce. They had a higher instance of like um, not having a good job. And so these habits just carry over, which is why it's so important to catch these kids early uh, when they're underachieving and get them to where their potential is because otherwise it's going to follow them their whole life. Well, that's huge really to me to think of this underachievement issue as a habit that we have developed and habits, you know, how the brain is, they, the brain wants to follow that same habit. We got to get that new habit going. I mean, that's really illuminating for me uh, to even think about that. Some, And so part of it, you mentioned this a little bit earlier. Um, you, you feel like there's some peer pressure with some students and you mentioned this a little bit to sort of stay off the radar of their peers, like not to appear gifted or, or what, uh, add a little bit to that for us. So it's really interesting because, and this depends on the age when, when you, if you walked into a, a third grade classroom and there was a gifted kid in that classroom, you would probably have to sit in that classroom for about 10 minutes to figure out who the gifted kid, you would be like, Oh, it's that kid right there. Because they would be raising their hand, they would be eager to answer questions, they would be almost showing off their gifted ability. When you get into junior high and high school, if you go into the same classroom with the same gifted kid, you would have a difficult time picking them up. Because what starts to happen is the longer we're in school, the more we kind of want to fit in. And so the gifted kid when he's young, it doesn't, it doesn't matter that he doesn't fit in because that's part of who he is and he's accepting of that. But as it goes along and he has learned social norms and social acceptance and being made fun of, he just wants to fit in. And so as a result, that giftedness does not display itself. And so, so what happens is they don't want to, and there's the, another factor with peers is that gifted kids have what are called overexcitabilities, which are, they are more emotional about certain things than, than uh, your typical child. And as a result, they have a lot of empathy. So I, I've seen this in the classroom where a kid will, like, I, I'm not feeling well or whatever. And a kid will actually come up and say, oh, you don't seem like you're feeling well, Mr. Stanley, and, and ask about that. And it's just so sweet. But at the same time, they empathize with their classmates. So if they have classmates who are not performing very well, they don't want to make that person look dumb or they don't want to make them feel inadequate. So they'll play dumb as well. Okay, so one thing I wanted to kind of pursue a little bit in the, in that same vein with underachieving. Let's talk about a particular group of students, and those are students who we 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 typically call twice exceptional. Um, and some of the famous ones, you know, Einstein, Walt Disney, Leonardo da Vinci, Thomas Edison. We probably would think of those as maybe being twice exceptional. What does that mean to be twice exceptional? And what is it about that group that's going to maybe lend itself towards some some issues in this underachievement area? Sure. Well, twice exceptional is a really tricky thing because 
kids, because twice exceptional means that they're identified and gifted, and they're also identified as having a learning disability. The problem is that kids who are gifted are, they may be able to score high enough to where they don't register as special ed and, or their special ed will prevent them from, you know, they're not good test takers or they're not good at, you know, and so they, they won't register as gifted. And so what happens, these kids are kind of stuck in a limbo where they're neither gifted nor uh, special ed, but they're actually both. Um, so even so, so identification can be really tricky. So even if we do identify again, trying to serve both of those needs can be very tricky because a kid who is who is gifted has certain has specific needs, and this is what I try to express to, to educators all the time: is that you should not think these kids are gifted; they'll be fine, they're smart, they'll get by on their own. They have needs, just like academic needs, just like anyone else, and their needs are very specific to their type of learning. So you have that, but you also have, you know, special ed kids or who people who have learning disabilities also have a special way that they need to be taught or, or a specific way they need to be taught. So trying to find a teacher that can address both the special ed aspect, aspect and the gifted aspect can be really challenging. Um, and so, uh, but, but what, how that causes underachievement is that that kid who has so much potential, they're learning this disability is preventing them from reaching that. So Agatha Christie, like you mentioned, she had dysgraphia. And so dysgraphia means that she could, she couldn't write basically, or if she wrote down numbers, she often interchanged them. And so she didn't originally wasn't going to be a writer, but she ran across these friends and they did a play together. And she so much enjoyed doing the play that she wanted to tell stories. And so, and I didn't know about this. So I researched this for my book. She actually didn't write her own story. She, um, spoke and someone else typed them for her or wrote them for her uh, because she had dysgraphia and couldn't write them herself. So like you often see pictures of Agatha Christie in front of the typewriter typing. She was actually not doing that. She had a secretary that she um, uh, spoke, you know, she spoke her stories to them and then they typed them up. Well, that's fascinating. I, I didn't know about that with her. Um, that, that's super interesting on that. So let's let's kind of go to the other side of this. We've really described the problem where you know what could happen in college, maybe how we set these up, the habit of under the habits they create of underachievement. Let's talk about some solutions, some remedies, uh, some things that maybe we could do to to sort of sort of help these kids. What can we do to help them with underachievement? Sure. So I, so when it comes to the, when I, when I go around and I talk with teacher groups about underachievement and I had this in the book as well, the, the, the difficult part about underachievement is that there are different causes for underachievement. So it could be a home life. It could be their peers. It could be social emotional issues. It could just be a lack of skills. And for, you have to identify what the cause of the underachievement is because how you treat it is going to be very different. So if it's a home life problem, you're going to approach that from a very different perspective than if it's the kids just bored and, you know, from lack of challenge saying they're because they're not in the right programming. So um, you first have to identify what is causing the underachievement. Then once you've identified that, there are several strategies that you could use and not all of them are guaranteed to work. So let's go back to our twice exceptional. Our twice exceptional kids um, some strategies that you might use is, is teaching them organization. Um, gifted kids in general are notoriously bad at organization. Not every single one of them. I don't want to characterize that as a stereotype, but a lot of them are. 
And so like when you go, when you ask them to go to their book bag or their binder to get what they're, they've got stuff from, you know, the 1970s. I mean, they, and they're carrying five books and it's like, why are you carrying five books? And they're like, oh, well, I have my backup book. And if I finish that one, I have another backup book and so on and so forth. So, you know, gifted kids um, in general are not great at organization, but gifted kids who have a learning disability also might be even more so. And so one thing that you could do strategy you could do is, is teaching them organizational skills. I had a teacher who, um, when she was, she had a kid who was very unorganized. So she put him with two girls who were very organized and every, once a week they would sit down with him and they would go through his book bag and they would pull out stuff he didn't need. And they would, and they, they were helping him to learn how to do that. Um, another, um, example is that, uh, especially with, uh, kids with learning disabilities is they, they like kinesthetic learning. So they like, you know, manipulative. So when they're learning math, rather than just looking at a math problem, they want to be able to manipulate. So, so having manipulatives that allows them to use their hands, um, is going to be a good way for them to, um, to overcome their disability. Um, another example is, uh, a lot of kids think it's gifted kids think very abstractly. And it's hard to pull them in and have them think concretely. So they have these grandiose ideas and trying to get them to think of something that's going to be more realistic can be a challenge, which is a good challenge to have. And so we need to, as teachers, one strategy is teaching kids how to make this abstract more concrete. So how do you take the abstract and translate that into something that someone can use? And and the one thing that I always try to get my gifted students to do is I'm like, I know you know it. But how could you explain to someone else to show that you know it? And so uh, that's taking that abstract to the concrete because they have these great ideas in their head. But communicating that to someone else can be a challenge sometimes. And so that's how I try to get them to take that abstract and turn it into concrete. Okay. Well, I'm gonna, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I've made some notes here and I found this super interesting. And I'm going to sort of summarize some of my key points. And if you'll add what some parting things that you would like to do. Something that's been really illuminating for me is that underachievement is really a habit many times, not always, that they've gotten to into early. And part of it is the classroom environment of you're so smart, you're so great kind of thing. They've also learned to play the game of school and how to just sort of do what they have to do to get that A rather than reach their potential. Another thing I thought was just super important for me is in order to get to the remedy side, we have to identify some causes, and that's going to vary, obviously, by each child. So with an older student, I might even do some little surveys with them, some fill in the blank, how can I help you better, you know, rate what you could, what we could do here to kind of have a conversation about, to, to get under the hood of what's – I would do that with any student, whether they're gifted or any student, of let's get under the hood of what's happening here so that we can find some remedies for that. And, and then how do we, and then also, of course, I'm always fascinated by the twice exceptional student. I just think a lot of students when I'm in classrooms, I just notice from my own walks, when we do some really novel, higher level thinking, I'm always surprised by which students just come alive on that, you know? So I'm always kind of fascinated by, you know, which students, how, what their thinking's like. Tell us some things that you would like to leave, a couple of things that are really big takeaways you want to leave with educators. Sure. The, the, the biggest thing is, the biggest remedy to underachievement, in, in my opinion, and it doesn't always work, but it is a big factor, is the caring factor. So I was at the National Association for Gifted Children Conference a few years ago, and there was a high school teacher who worked with underachieving gifted kids, and she had filmed them. They were kids who were getting poor grades, and then she worked with them, and they, they got much more improved grades. And when she was interviewing, 
interviewing them, the thing that was pervasive through all of their interviews was that they were like, oh, it was nice to know that someone cared. I thought that people had stopped caring. And knowing that someone cared about it made me want to do better. And so the caring factor is huge. And when I, and I have these five profiles in the book of famous people who um, had someone either who cared about them or did not care and what happened as a result. So you, you mentioned Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein was a big time underachiever. He got horrible grades in school. He was in his, and if you were identifying his cause of, it was that he was bored. He liked to do things a certain way. The teacher had a certain way they wanted things and they did not match up. But, and so the question is, if that hadn't been caught, would Albert Einstein have been Albert Einstein? And what caused that to kind of turn is that he, his family invited a student by the name of Max Taumey to come to dinner with the family. And he had a lot of science books. He had a, philo- a lot of philosophy books. And he would share this with a, with a young Albert Einstein. And this is what caused his curiosity in science and philosophy was this interaction with this particular uh, student. And it was a five-year period that he was with the family. And if Max Tommy had never come to that household, uh, we wouldn't even know who Albert Einstein was because he probably would not have reached his potential uh, because he wouldn't have had that, that person that showed they cared enough for him to care. One last thing I do want to mention um, uh, as my parting words is that um, the, one of the, my favorite quotes with underachievement was from Davis and Rim. And here is the quote. Uh, Children are not born underachievers. Underachievement is learned. Uh, Therefore, it can be unlearned. And so, end quote. And so what that's saying is these habits that they've developed, these, you know, these lack of skills that they have not developed, these can all be fixed. We just need to, to, to help them to learn that. And so how to, how to break those habits, how to develop those skills. Um, And that's how we can best help underachieving gifted kids. I'm wondering if we need to maybe start with this perception that we each have of gifted kids, because maybe, and you tell me, because this is your world, it just feels to me like we sometimes have a perception that they're going to be just fine. You know, those are not the kids we need to worry too much about, but I'm starting to think that that really is a perception we need to address. It it is. I mean, and I, that's probably my biggest challenge as a, as a gifted educator and coordinator of gifted is when I'm working with people who don't normally work with gifted kids on a regular basis, their opinion is that these kids are going to be fine. And a lot, and and I'll be honest, a lot of those kids probably will be fine, but they will not be pushed to their potential because they have so much potential. Um, And so um, I, you know, I really struggle trying to to help people to understand that these kids are, you know, have very specific special needs that need to be addressed. And if we're not addressing those, then they're going to fall through the cracks. So I, I am fortunate to be in a school district where we have a lot of gifted programming. And so kids find the program that they need in order to help them reach their potential. We don't do, we're not hundred percent successful, but we have a lot of success with kids who go into our gifted programming. There are some districts that don't have any gifted programming at all. So if you're a kid who is, has all this potential, but you're not being challenged at all, you are definitely going to become an underachiever. And so, um, you know, we, we need to do a better job of identifying who is gifted and then addressing their specific needs. And if they have an underachievement, 
you know, identifying that and addressing that as well. Well, Todd, I've learned again so much from you today, and that's why I wanted you to come back on because we had so many people listen to the first podcast. It's just a, a very compelling topic. And I thank you for all the time and all the wisdom you've shared today. Todd and I, we don't want to end this podcast without thanking every educator out there for all the great things you do in your classrooms every day, for opening doors for kids, for all the possibilities you create for your kids. Please join us every week for a new podcast with an educational thought leader just like Todd Stanley. Thanks, guys. We are so glad you joined us on this episode of My Ed Expert. For more resources on the ever-evolving realm of education, head on over to myedexpert.com and get inspired by all of our authors' work through downloads, strategies, and best practices. While you're there, hop on to get updates right to your inbox because you don't want to miss a thing right here on My Ed Expert.